In, in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah chapter 1, the scriptures tell us something absolutely profound about God's heart and his relationship with people. And I want to share a very simple Christmas Eve talk with you starting there. So you can follow along up on the screens, but I want to read to you just a few words from Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 4. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before, you, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I chose you for something. And I appointed you to a purpose and a task. Have you ever, have you ever thought much about the games that we used to play as children? I know we have some children here, so maybe you've played these games even recently, but I was thinking back about some of the games that we played when I was a kid in classrooms or on the playground, and I was realizing that every single game that we played as children had to do with choosing. I, I can't think of a game from elementary school. I don't know if the games change from generation to generation, but in my era, I can't think of a game in elementary school that didn't somehow have to do with the idea of being chosen. I mean, did you ever play Mother May I? Anybody play Mother May I? Mother May I is not a game of skill. It's a game of choosing. You know the game Mother May I, where you have to get permission to advance until you reach the mother who's in charge. And, and that game is not won by skill. It's won based on whoever the mother says will win. <laughs> but if you remember playing Mother May I, there was always some super optimistic kid that would be like, Mother, may I take three bounding leaps forward? And, and of course, the mother's going to say, no, you may not. <laughs> and that led to the next kid being a little more conservative. Mother... May I take three little tiny baby half steps forward? And the mother was, was so gracious. Yes, you may. And, but no, you, you don't win until the mother says you're going to win. Or, or how about the farmer in the dell? I always hated that even as a kid. I just I hated the tune. I hated the, you know, the farmer takes a wife. It's, it's the worst. But that is a game of diminishing significance and increasing rejection. Everybody wants to at least be the wife. And if you can't be the wife, maybe I can be one of the kids, or at least a big barnyard animal. But as the song progresses, I've got to go from the dog to the cat. Just I'm fine with the mouse, but do you ever think about the games we played? We stood in a circle around one isolated kid and sang at them, the cheese stands alone. How about duck, duck, goose? Duck, duck, goose. It, it, I choose you to chase me around my seated friends and, and to sprint around the room. Um, it's all about being chosen. How about heads up, seven up? Please touch my thumb. <laughs> choose me. Or, or London Bridge is falling down, and it doesn't fall down until I pick the one that I want it to fall down on. Sometimes the games were about not being chosen, like playing tag. I did a little Google search. There's more than 30 variations of tag. 
kids are so creative. But even in the, the more athletic games, you know, soccer, baseball, football, the games that don't actually deal with, with being, you know, choosing as the outcome, you still have to go through a selection process to play. I pick you, but I don't pick you. Oh, I'm up again. I pick you, and I still don't pick you. And then, you know, the last person chosen is not really chosen. They're just absorbed. <laughs> you just kind of take them by default. But choosing and rejection, acceptance and exclusion are so deep in our childhood experiences. I mean, no wonder therapists and counselors, they always want to go digging around in our past because there's deep stuff there. But... Do you know what's deeper than the emotion of our origin stories or the emotion of our rejections, whether it was in elementary school or in high school or in middle age? You know what's deeper than all of that is destiny, purpose. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Our destiny, our purpose for existence goes back way further than whether we were accepted or rejected at some point in our lives. And I know God was talking to Jeremiah specifically, but the scripture makes it clear that this is God's heart for every person. Before God formed you in the womb, he knew you. Before you were born, he set you apart with a purpose for you to fulfill with your life. And I think those are pretty beautiful words. But, but have you ever had somebody tell you really beautiful words, but then not live up to those words? It's one thing to hear beautiful words. These words are so beautiful. Just hearing them kind of brings some healing into our soul. But have you ever heard really beautiful words that weren't actually lived out? We'll be best friends forever, at least until I find a new best friend or I'll love you forever, or at least for a while. I've got your back until I don't. The only thing that could be better than God himself saying these kinds of words to you is if God himself actually backed those promises up with actions. And the Christmas story tells us that that is exactly what God did. God chose you, and then he pursued you and entered your story and is still chasing you to this day. Let me read you a few words from the famous Christmas text in Luke chapter 2. And notice the backdrop that this story occurs in. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus, so this is the emperor of the Roman Empire, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while or before Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So, so catch what's happening here. The backdrop of the story is a giant upheaval in the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire is being rearranged by a decree from the Caesar. Everybody has to pack up and, at least for a while, move back home to register. So the whole Roman Empire's been upheaved, it's been shuffled, and it's all being rearranged. So Joseph also went up 
from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is amazing. God rearranged the Roman Empire so that Joseph and Mary would land in the city of David right on time for Jesus to be born there according to prophecy. The prophecies were that out of the city of David, out of Bethlehem, would come a ruler, a Messiah, a rescuer. And God rearranged the entire empire to align events just so, so that Joseph and Mary could keep a date with destiny for the birth of Christ, so the Savior of the world could be born into your story. And and when the angels announced the birth of this rescuer, they said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And I think those words, a Savior has been born to you, have the, the, they have the potential to heal some of the existential angst in the human soul. Do you ever feel that, that, that existential longing as a human of, of who am I and why am I here and am I loved? See, if a person is open to the possibility of the metaphysical, if we're open to the idea that there is something more to this world than biology and, and chemistry and the, the elements, if we believe there could be something more, if there really is a God that set this whole thing in motion, am I on that God's radar? I mean, if there really is a God who made this universe, this heaven, this earth, if there really are 8 billion people with us on the planet, plus all the humans that ever lived in all of human history, does that God know me? And if he does, how does he feel about us? What would that God feel about us? I mean, how do we know that God loves us? We talk about that in church all the time. I mean, I know the Bible tells us he loves us, but how do we know that's true? I I think it's easy to make a case and probably prove that humans crave love. I don't think it's hard to prove that we humans crave belonging and relationship and identity and purpose and acceptance. I mean, just, just look at our films. Look at our literature. Listen to our music. Taylor Swift is not a billionaire recording artist because she sings songs about goal setting (laughs) or proper hygiene. I think we humans carry this ache to be loved. And I don't think that it's a procreative biological urge masquerading as a desire to be loved. I think we actually want to be loved. I think we've been set into a universe where we ache to know if we have been chosen. And we're living in a world 
where all of the things that we think will bring that belonging, good looks, money, success, fame, recognition, they they don't last in terms of bringing that sense of longing. It brings us face to face with this existential question of, are you out there? And if you're out there, how do you feel about me? Does God actually love us? Christmas says, yes. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Before he formed you in the womb, he knew you. Before you were born, he set you apart. And he rearranged the entire Roman Empire to get Jesus Christ right where he needed to be to be born into your story. I remember a couple of times when our girls were really small, I saw the most fascinating interaction. Amber came into the room, and Jessica grabbed her and said, "Um, you're my favorite. (laughs) I love you so much. And then Amber left. And then I watched this happen a few minutes later. Madeline came into the room. And I watched Jessica grab Maddie, and she goes, Maddie, you're my favorite. Don't ever forget it. And and I realized she wasn't saying, you're my favorite compared to your sister. She was saying, you're my favorite compared to the universe. I could not love you more than I love you. When Amber was in fourth grade, I'll never forget this. She was super, anybody here in fourth grade? Close to fourth grade? We had some fourth graders in the first service. Um, Are you in fourth grade? Third, you're getting close. So when Amber was about your age, she was super talkative, and I imagine that's true there too. And she would tell me all the details of her day, but there was one day in particular she was just just going on and on about her day, and I was so melted with love for her. And as she talked, I just got flooded, and I interrupted her, and I said, Amber, I love you so much. I said, I love you with all of my heart, and she goes, yeah, I know, Dad but I'm trying to tell you something. (laughs) Every human should feel that way. Every single human should be so loved and it would be so known that, that they're like, yeah, dad, I know, but I'm trying to tell you something. God loves you. That's your Christmas message today. It's not the most complicated, but maybe one of the most important things that we could ever be reminded of. In fact, I think it was Emma that just read it to us. um, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. You know, it's funny. I don't know if you think about that verse much. It's one of the most popular, most frequently tattooed scripture verses in the world, but I think people read it backwards all the time. People read this verse as if God is making the world perish And that's not what the verse says. People have this view that God is making the world perish or God is judging the earth and then he throws a little lifeline with Jesus. No, the passage says the world is perishing. We have been down roads that lead to ruin. It's not a mystery to realize there are paths in life that take us away from life. We've been down those roads. What this 
passage tells us is that there's a way back home. God knows that we've been down roads that lead to ruin. We've been down roads that haven't delivered what we thought they were promising. But there is a road that leads back home. It starts at a manger where the Savior of the world was born into the human story. And it continues to a cross where the full weight of the trauma and the damage and the brokenness of the sins of the world were laid on Jesus. And it continues to an empty tomb where the author of life defeated death and then offered life to the rest of us. Listen, I don't know your story. I mean, I know you, and I know lots of different parts of lots of your stories, but I don't know the details of your story. I don't know when your world got turned upside down. I don't know the details in your life that had to converge just right to get you here today on Christmas Eve of 2023. But I do know that the same God that rearranged the Roman Empire to get Jesus right where he needed to be for his destiny is at work in your story. And whether those details have been great or terrible, tragic or amazing, just what you were hoping for beyond your expectations or not what you ever imagined, God is at work. And the details have aligned in such a way that you're here today being reminded that God loves you. Now, you might be like Amber. Yeah, Dad, I know. Let's move on to something a little deeper. Or, or maybe you just need to be reminded of it. Or maybe it needs to settle just a little bit deeper in your life at this time in your life. Or maybe we're all called to be that voice for someone else. You know, as we get a little bit older, which happens to all of us, you start to think about significance and legacy. And I tell you what, if, if I just make it and I'm able to echo the truth that God loves you, I think that would be a life worth living. If we're able to make it through this life and be a consistent echo of the truth that God loves the world, I think that's been a life well lived. And so maybe that's what God's saying to us today. So here's how we're going to end today. We, we, um, we like to end our Christmas Eve services here at Hope with a candle lighting moment. And we do that, first of all, just because everybody loves playing with fire. <laughs> and... And there's just something powerful about a little flickering of vulnerable flame that's actually more powerful than darkness and gloom. And our world needs that today. And so we, we, we like the tenderness and the imagery of a candle lighting moment, but it also gives us a chance to respond. And so maybe this morning, maybe the way you need to respond to this idea is by saying, yeah, Dad, I know. Thank you. Maybe that's your response today. Or maybe I need to know it a little bit deeper. Because, you know, in the story of your life, whoever got there first staked the first claim. So whoever got there first and told you who you were or who you weren't or what was right or what was wrong with you, that became a, a stake in your life. And so sometimes we need to back up and, wait a minute, who, who told me who I am? And, and maybe God wants to uproot some stakes and plant something different in your soul. See, before you were born, there was already something said about you. So no matter what has been said about you since, that wasn't the first word. It's like in the Chronicles of Narnia. There was a deep magic, but then there was a deeper magic from before the dawn of time. And that deeper magic that Lewis was writing about was the voice of God that knew you before. 
So as we light these candles, as we respond, maybe it's just a moment to say, go a little bit deeper. And also maybe it's a moment to just say, direct my life. Who do you want me to echo this truth to? So why don't you stand with me? You all should have received a candle when you came in. Last year, you all ruined our chairs with the candle lighting. So we upgraded this year. We got a little heavier duty cup to catch the candle wax. And I think we even got some, some snazzier candles. So the way we're going to do this, the, the worship team's going to lead us in Oh Holy Night, which is, oh, what a beautiful song. So difficult to sing and so amazing to listen to. Um, as we sing Oh Holy Night, the greeters are going to come and light just the candle on the side, and you can turn and light the candle of the person next to you. Keep them lit, and they're going to be lit for a little while because we'll move from O Holy Night into Silent Night, and that will be our joint candle lighting moment. And, and then I'd like to come up and lead us in a prayer, and then I'll, I'll let you move on with your day. Are you doing okay with the candles? Mine's barely even dripped. I'm really good at candle lightings. Let's pray. Lord, as we hold this image of a small flame that's more powerful than gloom, more powerful than darkness, more powerful than despair, fumbling around, trying to find a way, we're reminded of what the scripture says, that the light came into the world and the darkness was not able to overcome it because it was light. And Jesus, that was you. And Lord, in this little moment here, late morning, Claremont, California, we want to ask that the light and the beauty and the power of this message, of your scripture, of your truth, would you let it spread around the world? Would you let it spread to Ukraine where they're still fighting? Would you let it spread to Israel and the surrounding areas? Let it spread to every war-torn part of our world. Let it spread to every pocket of need and trauma in our world. Lord, let it spread to Washington, D.C., to our president and his staff, to our Supreme Court, to our Congress, to our governors, to our leaders in education and medicine and law enforcement and business, to our families, to our individuals, to foster care, to social work, to therapy. Lord, we pray for all of the spheres of our society that there would be the light and the power and the hope of your message awakened this year. Let this be a year where there's a new rearranging, a new upheaval of people's lives that lead them to this realization that they were known, that they were loved, that they are yours. Lord, we open our hearts to you and we give our lives to you. Lord, if you're there, here we are, invade our world. Jesus, we give you our life all over again. And maybe some of us are saying that for the first time, but Jesus, we give you our life. Come into our life. Show us why you set us apart. Show us why we're here. Answer that ache in our soul. And then let us be your voice to the world around us. God bless our family members, our friends, our loved ones, our relatives. We love them. We love you. We love each other. 